we are looking at different aspects of the work of a very familiar story of our Savior. We're looking this morning in John's Gospel at another very familiar explanation of what happened on that fateful event uh, in Advent, that first Advent. John chapter 1 we'll be looking at. And as we continue to try to encourage and urge all of us at the church in this season, this Christmas really is a time of reflection, isn't it? This is one of those times that the church says to you and to me and to one another, hey, can we just slow down? <laughs> can we just slow down, almost stop? Can we just think about what is, what's going on in this Advent season? It is a time to stop and to think again and again about this event and its purpose. But sadly, it's too often a time of kind of preoccupation and busyness that, that seems to allow very little time to pause and to prayerfully think about the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ. Stop and think about it. I had a passing conversation with a fellow Christian recently who was, who was suggesting they, they thought they saw a silver lining in the midst of this COVID season as well as the Christmas season. And she said this. She said that she would normally be almost overwhelmed with things to purchase and prepare for at a rapid pace, overwhelmed with what she had to get done. But now, because of the restrictions, she's finding that the church events are canceled and many details and projects are not happening. Therefore, she found herself thinking more about the birth of Christ. Whether it was Christmas cards or, or carols or, or scripture, she said this familiar story, it's, it's become a sweet reminder to my soul. Now she's been walking with the Lord for a long time, but she said, you know, I'm, I'm finding a blessing here. I'm forced to not be as busy and think. Yes, a, a lot of things are seemingly being taken away. No question from us. But nothing, nothing can take away the joyous privilege of meditating on and worshiping the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's look at this passage, and I just want to read, looking at verses 9 uh, through 18. I want to just read that context and be re reminded again of what a rich picture. Hear now God's word, starting at verse 9 of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Again, much to reflect on during Christmas, but think about this. Love came down at Christmas. Not as a thought or a wonderful idea, but Almighty God came personally in the flesh. Just think about that. It didn't come as an idea. It came as a person in the flesh. You know, the beauty and the power of the Christmas uh, message, the Christian message, is that it's, it's for everyone. It's for, there is no primary audience. It's not especially for the intelligent and the moral people. Nor is it exclusively for the down and out who really need help. (laughs) No, God has come to those who hunger and thirst. This message is not for self-help and self-improvement. It's a message for salvation. Those who know they are lost and alone, not socially, but spiritually, who recognize I'm I'm alone. I don't know life. I don't know God. I want to know him. That's the message of Advent. Friends, if you're all too familiar with this message and its eternal implications, if you're so familiar with it, it's without causing you in a real sense, if it doesn't cause you again to be still and to know that he is God, then I I urge you, And with all the authority I can, I want to admonish you. (laughs) Look again. Look again at what happened at Christmas. The word of God became flesh. On his commentary on this section, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, a famous preacher at 10th Presbyterian Church uh, in Philadelphia, Just in these verses, in his commentary, he had almost a hundred pages alone just on these verses. It was that important for him to remind us of what happened. There is not only much to be said about what John wrote, but there is much more to be thought about and applied to our souls when it comes to this book and this Advent I want to take these final two weeks of Advent to look at this passage and that I think in many ways it captures what I think is almost incomprehensible. What happened in that manger in Bethlehem? It's perhaps the greatest historical event that ever occurred in the world. The creator Almighty God, high above, became flesh 
and lived among us. Now I want to focus this morning on verses 9 through 14 and then we'll conclude with the rest of that passage next week. And although John does not give the details of Jesus' birth like we find in Matthew and Luke, we're very familiar with what happens at that manger scene and all the people and and the characters uh, that were on stage, so to speak. John doesn't go into that detail. But I hope you see he is describing the same event in an even more unique way. Let's take a closer look. Something profound happened when that baby was born that would have a profound and eternal significance. So friends, please, let's think about it. Let's not just be sentimental about it and and be moved again by that baby. Let's think about what happened again. So for the sake of focus, I I want to look at two aspects of what what Jesus' entry brought into this world and thereby to you and to me personally. What happened for us personally? And the first idea is the idea of light. Light. Now right up front, hear me, I must warn you again not to read this as just some philosophical concept. (laughs) Jesus was coming not to bring some idea of worldly peace that will help us get along better. Jesus is not a concept. He's a personal reality. One of the major biblical themes we discover about the essence of Almighty God. Who is God? What is he like? One of the themes the Bible uses is that God is light. For example, in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 2, he says this. Isaiah says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Or in chapter 60, he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. There's something about God's essence being light to the soul. And if you're familiar with this gospel of John in chapter 8, even Jesus himself would see the need for people to understand not just the idea, but the personal reality of himself when he said this listen he said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life what is god like jesus is showing right away and john is showing he is light now let's think about that a little bit further Look again at verse 9 and see if it wasn't just any kind of light. Here again, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light. Yes, there's all kinds of light, as we understand. But this was the true light that everyone needed. To flesh that out further, let me suggest what light does and how it applies, I think, to this Christmas blessing of the light of God coming into this world. 
what true or pure light does. If it's pure and true light, one of the first things it does, it fully exposes, doesn't it? It shows everything. It is pure and bright, and it covers everything. That means there is no place, there's no corner that is not exposed by God's light. In other words, after you stop looking at Jesus, he starts looking at you and makes you see what he sees. His light is so bright, there's no place you can go. And what he does is say, yes, look at me, but look at me looking at you. I see you. My light is penetrating everything about you. The next two verses we'll see here explain further who he actually was and his mission. The creator who was the needed light for everyone. He came to graciously but clearly expose our own darkness and our lostness. But did you see this? He made the world, the one who made the world, yet the world, what? Did not receive him. And even his own rejected him. I am the light of the world. That means I'm the creator. I am everything. I am almighty God. I've come to those that I have made. And what did they do? No, thank you. And even those who knew him best, so as the Messiah coming, rejected him. The other part of light here we see, of true light, and of this image that we see biblically, is that it assumes, it assumes darkness, doesn't it? <laughs> to appreciate light, you have to understand darkness, don't you? There's no need for light without darkness, is there? I don't need a flashlight to see what's clearly in front of me. I don't need it. But if it's dark, I need it. In spiritual terms, there was a darkness over all of creation. And you and me in particular, that we weren't even aware of ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever realized you're dark, you're in a dark place and you didn't even know it until somebody showed you? It's, it's strange how darkness is penetrated by light. To put that in a more personal term, think about this. Have you ever, let's be honest, have you ever tried to point out a dark spot in somebody's life? Whether it was a friend, whether it was a family member. Have you ever tried to say, can, can, I, can I point something out to you? There's something dark here. There's a clear problem, but often the reaction, what is the often reaction that happens? Sometimes it's either denial or defiance. Who do you think you are? Can I shine a light in your face? We don't like to be exposed, do we? We don't like someone saying, gosh, you're not what you should be. There's a dark part to you that's actually killing you. But our pride... I want my darkness. You get out of my life. Get that light out of me. I'd rather be in my darkness. Friends, even that, that pales 
in comparison often to what happens when the gospel message exposes the sin and darkness in our lives. Jesus came to bring light, to expose the darkness. And if you understand anything about the life of Jesus, the more he did it, the more it got him in trouble. And in many ways, that's what cost Jesus his life. He exposed sin and pride and anger and defiance. Not in a defiant way, but in a humble way. You're lost. You're dark. You're dead. You have no hope apart from me. And we see, we see how in verse 13 that the only, do you see that the only way that perception changes, the only way you get it is not from within yourself. It's only from the spirit of God, not by the will of man or the will of the flesh, but by the spirit of God. Your only hope, my only hope is that God would open my eyes that I would see that light that's killing me, but it's going to save me. So we see that issue of light. But then the second aspect for us to consider is the fact that Jesus' entry brought truth, didn't it? It didn't just bring light. It brought truth. That's made clear, isn't it, in verse 14, a very rich, pivotal, powerful verse. Look again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So what exactly is truth? He has brought light, but he's brought truth. What is truth? Whether it's in politics or morality or science or religion, everybody wants to know or thinks they know, right? <laughs> The word God uses here, it's important to understand this, friends. The word God that John uses here for truth in this passage, it would capture the minds of the listeners, both Jews and Greeks, when they heard the term that John used. And sadly, this is another example of how our English translation doesn't always capture the fullness of the Greek language. The Greek word for truth is logos. Logos, that was a rich and unique word. It, and it had the weight, that word had the weight of, of understanding. It meant when you understand logos, truth, you have the, the principle of life. You understand life. It's that profound. If you had truth or logos, then you had life. In his commentary on this section, again, Dr. Boyce gives an example of what this word meant in the history of Greek philosophy, for example, and for the famous philosopher Plato, who was functioning around 5 BC. He said, Dr. Boyce describes it this way, quote, listen to what he says. He says, Plato, we are told, once turned to a little group of philosophers and students that had gathered around him during the golden Greek age in Athens. And he said to his followers, you know, it may be that someday there will come from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. 
Now John is saying, yes, Plato, and the Logos has come. Now God is revealed to us perfectly. You know, the culmination of this principle would find its fulfillment in the life of that babe in Bethlehem. As a man, Jesus would who was sent from God, would declare himself this way, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, friends, it would, would not just be any truth, but a truth that is matched by grace. God's truth always comes in the context of grace. The coming of Jesus is the entry of the fullness of all grace and truth. There is and never will be a fuller expression of the concept of truth, but the reality of truth than in the person and work of Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God. To see God is to see grace and truth and to see grace and truth is to see God the almighty so in conclusion what what have you been thinking about during this Christmas season that's so limited what's been on your mind preoccupying you you know for many of us it is a legitimate time of remembering what we don't have what we're, what we're limited by the limitations of travel and the Christmas traditions can make it hard to sing joy to the world, right? But yet I must remind you and even admonish you and myself. Again, look at this precious event of what happened. Love came down. Truth came down. Grace came down at Christmas. Look as well at where that truth and grace found its culmination at the cross. Don't stop looking at that baby. Follow that baby to the cross. Look at what he left and look at what he brought for you and me and be thankful that we can truly sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Our closing hymn focuses on the beautiful and painful marriage of his birth and his death that makes Christmas full of grace and truth. Oh, may you know again his presence, his power, his love for you. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have come down. A tradition that we've been celebrating for years, but in a sense we can't get enough of. We want to remember, remember, remember again that the word became flesh. The truth of life, almighty God, has come to us. Oh, Jesus, hear our prayer that we would be a people to understand what you did for us when you left your home, your throne, to come to us. And we ask in your precious and holy name. Amen.